Hey, thank you for joining us and welcome to episode four of Matchet and the Other Guy, the podcast where my friend and I, Kevin, simply sit outside my home here in Lake Wiley in Charlotte and have a chat. And the one thing that's become a bit of a tradition, Kevin, when we do these little I was going to say fireside chat, lakeside chat, is I never know the subject that starts us off, but it's almost irrelevant what we talk about because we go wandering off down different avenues anyway. But what is today's topic of conversation? I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at uh, how different it's been with you living down here on the point during this trying different times and compared to myself who lives a little bit more in toward the city and how our experiences have been different uh, the past few months. Yes, with the covid lockdown for example i mean my experience of living down here in lake wiley right on the point and as as we look across the lake from our position here on lake wiley i can see well, both of us can see i'm sure south carolina is over the other side of the lake and uh, technically we are in north carolina and i think the state line actually runs right down the middle of lake wiley pretty much. I think it sort of weaves left and right. Oh, you might but be the, right. But the division between the two state lines is some way, somewhere half across the lake. But um, in terms of how the, the lockdown or the lack of physical interaction with folks has happened, it's not, it's not been a great deal of difference down here for me. I mean, I live a fairly quiet, hermit-like life anyway down here on, on the lake. And to me, the, the solitude of the lake existence is very appealing. Um, you know, as a writer, when I write, I like it to be quiet anyway. Uh, and I'm, I'm used to spending a lot of time on my own. So, Yeah, I think you have a perfect environment for your creative outlets. I, well, that was one of the great attractions. I've been very blessed to, um, to, have, to have found this house. And... Uh, we do get a little bit of noise. You can probably hear now that flight coming in to Charlotte Airport, which is not that far away from us. But other than that, typically, there's very little noise down here. If you listen now, you know, that there are no pleasure boats out on the lake. We, there's a little bit of wildlife. Um, yeah, we just had two ducks fly by. Yeah, but not much, right? Uh, so anyway, in terms of day-to-day existence with the lack of interaction with folks, you've not been a great deal of difference, quite frankly. How about you? You're in a completely different part of town. What's, your, what's been your experience of it? We're in South Park, which is kind of, you know, still in the pretty, pretty far away from the uptown hustle and bustle or what used to be the hustle and bustle. Yeah. But of course, you know, we, we immediately were kind of, you know, in lockdown and then just kind of enjoying the neighborhood as we could. Um, you know, in most areas, I think, you know, we happened in the spring so the weather was really nice at the beginning so it was a great time to get out and take a bike ride or do something in the yard you know i did a lot of house outside housework and got that done and then yeah. you know it's a good play frisbee or something with my daughter and stuff like that and uh, i think one of the funniest things and this was early on i was listening to one of the shows and alec baldwin was on or something like that and he says Good gosh, we look what this this has done to us. We went from everybody sitting on the couch on their iPads to actually being outside riding bikes and flying kites. It's like uh, it's like yeah. been the reverse effect. Yes, it's kind of the opposite of what you would expect of a lockdown. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you know, everybody of course you know was cautious and doing about their things. But uh, you know, we've, we've seen the change. But you know, I think you know your setup down here has been really you know envious. I think of what a lot would like to have and. Um, 
I have friends uh, that actually live uh, on the water down in the Keys too, and I said, I said they win COVID because they both work from home, and they you know they want to get away. They lower the boat into the water and they head out into the ocean for a little while and yeah. come on back and. You know, they don't have to do too much if they don't have to or don't want to. And most things can be delivered to their front door via Amazon or whomever. So I think they've done really well. You're you're absolutely right. And I have started to use Amazon significantly more than I did before all of this happened. Um, And I find that, you know, having stuff delivered to the, I mean, you know, we're not we're not promoting Amazon in any way, but quite frankly, it's 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 crazy to pretend it it isn't such a huge company, and we're all depending on it because we really are. Um, but I've started to use the Amazon Fresh service and get supplies left at the door because I, I don't really want to go to the supermarket and interact with people if I kind of if I can find a way not to do that. Quite frankly, yeah. but talking about the lockdown and people's interactions and different reactions to it and this is one of the reasons why we decided to uh, explore the idea of having one of these podcasts and put the ideas together is that idea of it's still important to feel connected to people even though we can't be physically close to one another uh, we have to social distance and we have to wear masks as much as we can. And when we're out and about, of course, we do that. Um, but there is a desire for closeness. I think it's part of the human condition that we want to be feel close to one another and interact with one another. And that, dear listener, uh, was the idea of putting this podcast out there and, and letting you join us just for a chat about nothing for 40 plus minutes once a week as we sit out here on the lake sure you could be on your own porch or you know in the driveway or put wherever your, you know put your enjoy, enjoying on. the uh, yeah. time we have put your earbuds in or again as i've said in a previous episode whether you're listening to podcasts on the train or in the car or at home when the kids have gone to bed or however it is yeah i we like to feel that there's a sort of you know there's, there's a bond between all of this and that was the reason for putting this podcast together and i say that kevin because I spend an awful lot of time on my own, but I, frankly, I've always done that. I'm very comfortable in my own company. But there is, nonetheless, a great difference between being alone and feeling lonely. And feeling lonely, is, so, yes. feeling lonely is the thing that you know we, we don't want, I, I believe. And there are times, no question, during this lockdown period where I felt lonely and want more interaction with people but again there's in the same token i can sit down here for for days and days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months where i'm reading or pottering about the house or repairing something in the garage or repairing the boathouse or plodding about with the boat in the boathouse you know so I, i feel occupied but there are there are times when i've definitely felt the need for for more stimulus from other people has it been the same for you have you felt different uh well i have i have my my wife and daughter at the house and of course we're all at the house during during a lot of this and mm. really my, my wife works from home and did that before this anyway and right. then i kind of look kind of felt uh you know kind of bad for her and that you know now now her day has just got us on top of it uh during during the times and i was you know try to keep her keep the little one occupied and we'd be doing something but you know we 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 did well and 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 everything worked out and it's doing doing okay considering but um, but I know exactly what you're talking about, about the difference between being lonely and alone. I mean, there are certain people that certainly feel lonely 
at a football game with a uh, hundred thousand other people. Yeah, it's not always the physical uh, proximity; it's the mental connection with it. And then there's, uh, like I say, cases like you mentioned where plenty of people could spend uh, two weeks at their house and never interact with anybody and be happy as a clam. And then some that uh, you know always have to have interaction multi times a day with other people. Yes, it's a, it's an odd thing that we're all experiencing, but it's not necessarily, in my in my estimation, it's not necessarily something that's c- confined to this current period. You know what's been described as the, the endless March of 2020, and here we are in October, and in many ways it still feels like March with the you know ongoing covid crisis but i mean folks forever have felt that need to to be amongst other people or to have a way to interact and i think can you imagine how difficult it would be if it wasn't for the help of social media if it wasn't for the help of podcasts whether it's produced by us or anybody else or that idea that if you have relatives in australia and you live in britain or you have relatives in New Zealand, you live in the United United States, it's still possible now. You can call them on a day-to-day basis and have a video chat with them, which is must be a tremendous help to people. But imagine life without that and being in a lockdown yeah. situation. You know. Well, it almost, you know, it would have been definitely harder, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm. But then, in a way, you go back many more decades and it almost wouldn't be as hard because you're used. We would send them a letter anyway. Yeah. The only way you're going to talk to someone, your relative in Australia, was you're going to do it through the post. So that <laughs> that may true. not have changed. That's true. And you're like, I'm not yeah. going to see them anyway. I'm not going to talk to them on some electronic device, some magical thing I could actually talk to them with. Yeah. So it's kind of getting back to the roots. A lot of it, you know. Yeah. We often find ourselves wandering back through the avenues of time, back to our childhood, and you know we didn't. That's just an organic thing that happens when we start talking. But you've just reminded me when you say, well, you know, it wasn't so long ago where you had to write to relatives in Australia. It was the only way to communicate. When I was a young kid in England, my auntie and uncle from one side of the family, from from my dad's side, lived down in Cornwall, which is right in the south of, of, of England. It's, you know, it's 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 the fabled pirate country of England, really. Oh. Uh, Devon and Cornwall. It's very, very romantic, very beautiful countryside, but the, the, the coast is very rocky. Um, and the tea, and the, the seas can be very rough around there. So uh, there was a lot of pirate activity years ago, but of course, as with all commercialism, Cornwall and Devon has certainly you know, played on that idea of pirates around oh, around Probably heard a gift shop on every uh, corner. Well, absolutely. And uh, Jamaica Inn uh, is down in Cornwall, which uh, uh, has got such a f- great reputation for, for, for piracy, of course. And um, anyway, my, my uh, auntie and uncle live down in Cornwall, and we live right in the centre of England. Loughborough, Leicestershire, Nottingham, Birmingham, Coventry, the sort of heart of the industrial Midlands, if you like. But on a Sunday evening, my mum would book through the, um, uh, through, through the GPO, through the, through the telephone people, she would book a long-distance call down to Cornwall to speak to my auntie. Oh, okay. And it had to be booked wow. in advance. That, that yeah. I hadn't heard of. <laughs> yeah, so we would 
call the GPO, the, the General Post Office, I think it stood for, and, and say, you know, we would like to put a long-distance call down to Redruth, Cornwall at 8 p.m. on Sunday, the whatever date it would be. Yes, that's fine. Okay, we will call you at 1 minute to 8 p.m. to pick the phone up, and we will connect you. And, and then we would be connected to a phone in, in court. I mean, it seems such an antiquated system now, but yeah. that's how it was. Yeah. Now you just pick up you know, your phone and you dial any number anywhere. <laughs> that's right. And there's no second thoughts about it. But well, And you're connected with video if, if that's what if you that's want what you as want well. Yeah. Well, well, I think back to 2001, A Space Odyssey, the Kubrick movie, yep. when we first, my first introduction to the attempt of a video call was in 2001. Uh, and I remember looking at it thinking, wow, what that that really is space age science fiction technology now commonplace. We all do it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, talking about the phone thing, it's very specific that there wasn't a chance that I was gonna get to talk to any of my friends that had moved away on the phone when I was a kid. Right. I mean, you you could write letters, have a pen pal or what and a, a prime example is I remember um, some of my parents' friends came through, they were from California and we were in Florida. And they were they toured around the country and, and ended up coming through our area and stayed with us a night or two. And when we got when they got back to California, they had a granddaughter and they'd mentioned me and she wrote me and we just kind of became pen pals. And we write you know letters every few weeks and you know it was just kind of a thing. Oh, letter showed up, you know right, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And there wasn't even an inkling of a thought that I would ever ask to use the phone to call because you know what long distance rates cost there's no way we're letting you call out to california (laughs) i didn't speak this was in probably 81 or 82 when this began i didn't speak to her on a telephone until i think maybe 1990 wow so eight or eight or more years later we actually had a phone conversation but in terms i mean just just in terms of distance the distance between my childhood home to my aunt's would be 300 miles. And that was considered in England to be the end of the earth, quite frankly. It was, it was almost unreachable. I mean, it was, a, it, it was a journey that we took by car every year for our annual summer holidays. And we would always drive down to Cornwall to, to spend time with my auntie and uncle. But that car trip, Kevin, for 300 miles, it was the best part of 18 or 20 hours. Wow. Well, because it's not like the modern highways we have here where you just get on and blast and go. Well, I'm, t- I'm thinking, yes, in contrast, you know, when you, you, you were thinking about the distance between California and, and Florida, I mean, that is that is a long way. Physically is a long way, even, you know, even by today, even if you were to drive it, you know, we're on the highways, on the freeway. So the distance involved, I can see it'd be greater. Yeah, but did you do you remember that same thing of booking long distance calls? Did that no. happen, or the, it wasn't the same? No, system? the only thing. Well, we didn't we didn't have to. Mom and Dad didn't have to call long distance too often. I recalled, but they would often wait till after eleven o'clock because the rates went down. Yes, yes. They would often wait. Yes, just just about the time the lo- the local news was starting. It was eleven, and you could make a phone call to whomever. Of course, they had to be up too, so it's not like anybody was right. going to bed early. But, yeah, uh, and you had the time, the time change, the time difference to um, yeah, yeah, they were calling. See, we never mm-hmm. had that. To but then again, long anymore. distance could have literally been two counties over. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just depended oh, yeah. on what system, you know, how far. For example, my sister's husband's mother lived in the next county over, but when she would when she would come to visit and go home fairly late at night, like if it was after dark, yeah. they had a system in place that once she got home, she would call their house and let it ring twice. And not let ring anymore. And they would, they would, they wouldn't have to pick it up. And they would say, "There she is, saying that she arrived home safely." And that was their signal. 
ah, oh, you know, that sounds very familiar. I, I have a feeling folks used to do that in, in England too. Let the phone ring but not pick it up and then it's just a signal you're okay. Yeah, it just rings twice yeah. and we know it's her. So, <laughs> yeah. hey, it works. It didn't cost a nickel and uh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. And that distance, re- refresh my memory, excuse my ignorance, the distance between Florida and, and California. 3,000 miles. 3,000 miles. That, Pretty much across America is 3,000 miles, give or take. Yeah, yeah. so when you think the east coast of the states to England is about the same, it's about 3,000 3, something miles, isn't it, from, from coast to coast across the, across the Atlantic back to England, which is a huge distance. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what you think about just how how fast you can get to see something. You just hop in your car right now, and by dinner time, you're in another state and, you know, talking with friends or family that you've gone to visit. Whereas, mm. you know, if it was in the days of the covered wagons and everything, that's your whole life changing. We're going to change our whole life oh, to go this distance. I often think about and it. May, and we may not make it. The times that we do our dinner talk events you know, when we, we book a little restaurant somewhere at an event and I'll read a short story and we have dinner and we enjoy those evenings but I always think when, like for example when we, we drive from Charlotte down to Florida that must be about 300 miles I'm thinking right because I often think you know, like to where we go that, you know I'm thinking this is about the same distance as we used to drive down to Cool. It might be. Yeah, <laughs> we, I don't think we'd, we'd looked at it by mileage, but it's about six hours drive. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was yeah. So it was those trips that we used to take as kids with mum and dad in the car driving down to Cornwall were the most horrendous experiences as kids. But you remember every one of them. Oh right? wow! You know, we used to leave home in the middle of the night, like two thirty or three o'clock, because. Dad always thought the roads would be less busy. Well, of My course, they were. The same no, thing. No we would get a five that. o'clock start usually. So we would we would go to sleep at the normal time. Let's say it was seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, and then Mum and Dad would wake us up in the middle of the night, and we would be put into sleeping bags in the back of the car and just told to go back to sleep again. You know, which typically we did. You know, we, we would. Fall if you can, sleep. great. It takes away half the yeah, trip if you're sleeping. Uh, yeah, and and off we would off we would go. You know, and. My mum was always given the task of navigating, reading the maps, and I just know she hated it. I mean, she, she couldn't navigate. She, she, she wasn't very comfortable reading maps. And dad, my dad was, you know, former truck driver. So it was kind of second nature to him. So he would always do the driving. Mum never learned to drive right throughout her life. Really? Yeah. Wow, um, I never knew that. Yeah, I wish she did. She wished she did in, in later years, but that never happened. But, uh, yeah, my dad would get so upset when... He would he would say to mum, you know, now do, do we turn left or, or right here? Is it junction this or is it junction that to get on the Of course, mum would mum wouldn't know, and you know they would they would start arguing with each other. And well, just like we're going to the same place we went to last year. <laughs> exactly the same. We've, we've done exactly. this a number of times. It was exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. But the biggest problem we encountered on our on our trips was always we'd take the motorways as much as we could, uh, but it meant travelling through Birmingham, and uh, there is a there is a there is a junction, an intersection of motorways, like freeways, motorways in England that goes through Birmingham, which is known as Spaghetti Junction, and the name says it all. It's just a, yeah. you know, it's just a, it's just we a, had a mass, local one called yeah, that. A, it's just a massive, you know, there, and it was always notoriously awful. Like, you know, you'd, you'd have to get on the right road at precisely the right time, of course, and if you didn't, you couldn't turn around for twenty miles, <laughs> twenty miles before you could turn around and come back again. You know. 
Oh dear, oh dear. I was just so pleased when we finally got to Cornwall and could get out of the car and forget about it for a week, you know. Well, the, probably the most interesting thing, I mean, yes, it took you a long time, but there's probably great things to see along the way. Whereas, you know, with today's highways in the U.S., you know, you see the billboards yeah. and the truckers, and that's kind of it. You know, there's not much to see. Whereas, you know, any of the old days when you travel those back highways and stuff like that, there'd be the the local lodging place, the local souvenir shop, the diners, the, you know, a lot of stuff that would, like Route 66 is the most famous in the U.S. It's been romanticized in film and TV. And uh, I'd love to do that. The, the old days of, the glory days of travel, yeah. road travel. I, that is definitely on my list of things to do and make once uh, once we get out of this period of craziness and can get back to normality. Is I would like to travel old Route 66 um, in an old Gen 1 Camaro or something like a you know 67, 68, 69 Camaro. Something fitting. And yeah, and just and just go off without. And and here's the thing: where childhood always has an effect on later life. Is I would always I've planned it for years thinking. Wherever I go in life, I'm always going to allow time, if ever possible, just to stop whenever we want to stop, get out and see things whenever we want to see things. Because my dad, dear old dad, he didn't have an awful lot of patience at the best of times. But when we talk about this Cornwall trip again, when we set off to Cornwall, he would be determined to try and get down there as fast as possible in one hit if we possibly could. Well, of course we couldn't because we had to stop. I think I think that's an ingrained dad thing. <laughs> You've got to make <laughs> right. good time. We're going to make good time. Yeah, yes, I'm sure. You know, it was his thing. Like we, and and my other auntie, also on my dad's side, Auntie Phil, and uh, Uncle Lionel, Phil and Lionel, they were so completely different in personality to A, my dad, and B, my auntie and uncle down in, down in Cornwall, where Auntie Phil uh, used to run a pub in Derby, quite close to where we lived. So you, can, you, you already know, like, her attitude to life was infinitely more laid, <laughs> laid back. Like, it's just whatever, you know, like, there's no problem, there's no rush. What are you rushing about for? Just take your time, stop, go and look at something and all that. And, of course, that used to wind my dad up more than anything when they'd go off together because he, <laughs> he was just the opposite. Like you just said, it's a dad thing. Got to get there, got to get there, got to get there. And you'd get there, you know, it'd rush down there, then get out of the car and do what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> what, we're here. You know, we're here, yeah, well... Yeah. Well, we did, uh, we had a very, we moved to Florida when I was about, just about to turn 12. And home was in Tennessee, which we've been to. Right. And we would make that trek from Central Florida to Tennessee twice a year. We'd go up for three weeks in the summer, two weeks at Christmas. So that same exact trek, the, all the years we lived in Florida. Yeah. But it was that, that kind of same thing. We'd leave at five. I would try my every year, every year, or every trip. I guess it's biannual. This is five in the morning. Five in the morning. Yeah. I would try. I'm gonna. St- my goal. I'm gonna stay up till we leave. That way, I can sleep as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. Inevitably, I'd crash asleep on the floor, on the bed, wherever I was watching late night TV or whatever. And but we would get that early start. We'd make our way out of uh, our town, go up to like the next town. We'd swing into a little donut shop through the drive-through or whatever, just to get a donut, and Dad would get a coffee. Yeah. And we'd kind of hit the highway at that point. And then I would try to crash and sleep as far as I could. And I would usually sleep my way into Georgia a decent amount. And then uh, we'd stop for lunch at your whatever, you know, fast food place usually type of place. And 
then trek it on on into uh, Tennessee. Occasionally, there was one place that mom liked to stop on the way back or, or way up or down and buy a backup pecans. She'd just get those Georgia pecans at one of the stands. So we would stop there. But yeah, not a lot of uh, stopping and smelling the roses no. along the way. No, I can remember one of the first trips that we took together in separate vehicles was we were going down, we were going down from Charlotte down to, down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville. And I can remember saying to you, I tell you what, let's stop at pretty much every rest stop as we go down. Or on the hour or something. Yeah, Yeah. and I remember you looking at me with a slightly quizzical look, like, every rest stop, what are you talking about? Well, that's the reason why, because that's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's me rebelling from my dad trying to get down to Cornwall in one hit. Like, let's just break it up. I can remember just saying, I can remember saying to you, let's just break it up, just stop, just have a chat, you know. Use the bathroom if you need the bathroom, but just, and we did. just stop for five minutes. Just stop. Take a breath of fresh air out of the car, then get back in and go again. And uh, yeah, it's funny how it's funny how the events of childhood, even if you're not really aware of it at the time, how how ingrained they are and how much of a part they they play in your adult life. Whether you agree with them or disagree with them or rebel against them or approve of them. The events of childhood, they, they, they play a big part in oh, yeah. the structure of adulthood, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And on, you know, on the same trips, you know, especially in the summer winds or something like that, what was the rebel or the, I'm not going to run the air conditioner until we bitterly have to. <laughs> Dad would not well, turn on the air. To, I'll have to take your word for that because in England, of course, we never had any air conditioning. I mean, I, I'd hate to take power away from that big old uh, V8 uh, General Motors oh, engine oh, up front. Yeah, I'd, in the I'd car as well, suck right? Suck the yeah. power out of that. Yeah. But, you know, it would get to a certain <laughs> point where mom had had enough and then yeah. the air would come on. But, yes, I don't. I mean, I, I, yes, it will use a little bit more fuel, but, you know. Let's balance out some life here, you know. Yes, the quality of life comes into play. Yes, I wasn't. I wasn't even. See, this is me being English. I wasn't even thinking of air conditioning in a car, which again, yeah, we knew nobody really had. Only posh folks had had, had air conditioning. I mean, England just really didn't require it. But it, air conditioning in buildings is a relatively new concept in England. Really? Yes, and it, yeah, oh, absolutely. We none of us. Well, yeah, you none of us totally had have it. a different climate. Yeah, none yeah. of us had it. But also, you know, during my wonderful. 15 or so years in France, you know, we never had, we never had air conditioning. Nobody had air conditioning, you know. The, the, these little remote um, rural hamlets and villages where the houses are built of solid stone and the walls are three foot thick of solid stone, that was the air conditioning. You know, the house never got warm. Yeah. It was beautifully cool in, in the summer, just a result of the insulation quality of, of the stone. But conversely... In the, in the winter, they were freezing cold. Oh boy, you know, the houses, I mean, yes, in, in my childhood in, in, in England was the same. The houses were freezing cold and everyone sat around the fire and got warm. That's what happened, you know, but the, the, the house, my old farmhouse in France in the winter, if I'd, if I'd been away for, you know, a race, and, uh, over in the States and then and then flown back to Paris and caught the train down, uh, back down to Rufec and then on to Fayol where my farmhouse is. It would take three days of the log burner burning constantly 24 hours a day to get that house back up to temperature again. But then the stone would take over as an insulation again That's and right. keep the warmth in there. But yeah. it took a while. Boy, oh boy, it took a while. Well, he, yeah, he definitely learned to you know, 
bundle up, put on a <laughs> put on a shawl sweater, and uh, yeah. So when you talk about air conditioning, have a throw on you. You know, yes, you're right. I mean, the states the states is completely different to Europe in that respect. I mean, now you know we keep hearing of these awful heat waves and whatever that's happening in Europe that never used to happen as a result of climate change, no question, and uh, d- different times. But funny enough, my mum. When she was a very young girl living in England, uh, well, she always lived in England her entire life, she would tell me of, of snowdrifts in England when she was a young girl, and she would walk to school. She would walk literally over the fields, like six or seven miles to school. No one escorting her. It was just a different time. It was, it was, just, it was just a different world, different time. But she would, I mean, her and her girl, girlfriends, classmates, they would walk over you know, the meadows to, to school. And she would describe that the snowstorms, when it when it snowed, would be at the top of the telegraph pole. So I mean, that's sort of what 20, 25 feet, maybe at sometimes least. in a I drift. Would think at least, yeah. But I can personally, I can I can never remember that. I mean, we had some real snow in England when I was a kid, but I mean, nowhere near as much as my mum experienced. And now, you know, the snow in England is nowhere near what it used to be when I when I was a kid. So I guess that's more more indication that things are changing. Yeah, and having, well, I grew up all consistently in the southeast of, of uh, the country, you know, Tennessee and then Florida. Of course, Florida, we didn't get it at all, but Tennessee didn't get a whole lot and still doesn't. Occasionally, you'd get a February or a March, you know, storm that might bring a couple of days of snow where you go out and play, but yeah. it was once once a year, maybe twice at the most, sometimes no, none a year, that type of thing. Whereas, you know, if you live in a different part of the U.S. like Buffalo, you're going to have consistent snow. <laughs> All winter. Huge snow. So yeah. I've just never yeah. lived in any of that, so I haven't experienced no. it. No, I, I take my hat off to folks that live in that sort of, th- that bitter cold, high snow country. Rochester, New York, for example. Yeah. <laughs> we have a friend down in Charlotte, Mark, who, who works with American Air- Airways, and uh, that's where he was from, and he describes those bitter cold winters. And Yeah. My old Formula One colleague, David Hobbs, when he lived up in Milwaukee, you know, and I visited him a couple of times in the winter. <laughs> it's freezing, freezing cold up there. We're talking about France and uh, how cold it used to get in, in France. My neighbour, dear old Madame Fauconet, who, who looked after me just like another mother, quite frankly. I mean, she took me, her and her husband, René, took me under their wing and, and looked after me like a like a son it was wonderful but describing the fires and the desire to keep the fire going to keep the house warm of course they were absolute um, folks of the country I mean they'd lived their entire life born raised uh, and lived their entire life in this tiny little hamlet called Fayol so they were they were absolutely country people and they you know they would teach you all the skills of living in the country uh, but I used to, I could never keep my fire alight overnight. Like I would that was, stop it what, That was going to be my question is, what do you do when you're sleeping for eight hours? Yeah, well, what we what would do, we'd have log burners. There'd be log burners. Typically, originally, they used to be open fire. So we huge big chimneys there, huge fireplaces. But the downside of, of, of a big open fireplace is the house just fills with smoke. It's unavoidable. It just get wood smoke all the time. Very, very susceptible to the tiniest little change in air pressure and airflow between the chimney drawing the smoke and not. Uh-huh. So the move away from that was to use these wonderful Godin 
um, a Belgian make of, of log burner, and 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 so all the smoke would of course go up the chimney because it was in a sealed sealed place. But the way to keep the fire going was really just to close the vent down on the log burner right to the very minimum and just keep the logs just glowing overnight. Okay. And then we'd come down in enough the morning. oxygen. Yeah, yeah, yeah just there. enough, just enough. And then in the morning you'd restock the fire and, and away it went. But um, I, I did not have the technique to keep the fire alive and over you know come down in the morning it'd be freezing cold again you know freezing cold i have to go through the rigmarole of lighting the fire and getting rid of the ashes then getting a few twigs and a bit of paper and then lighting the match to light the paper to light the twigs and slowly you build a fire and i was explaining this to madame Fauconet one morning over, over coffee and she she was saying look i don't understand why you've got <laughs> such a problem with keeping the fire in and she was looking at me like i was missing something you know logical i said i don't i don't but I'm thinking, I don't know what it is, what, what I'm doing. She says, it's all, and, she, and it was absolutely a matter of pride with her. She says, there is always, always, always a glowing coal somewhere in there. You've just got to find it. <laughs> right. So the next morning, you know, the, fire had, the fire had gone out, or I thought it had gone out. I thought, I'm going to get Madame Fauconet over here and have her show me what, what to do here. So she came round and she, she opened the door of the, of the log burner and she's down on her hands and knees and she's got the little poker and she's poking around and she, sure enough, she finds the tiniest little piece of red wood burning, you know, uh -huh. a little ember. And she blows on it and she blows on it and then she puts a little bit of straw on it, a little, and, then, and then it's whoosh, all of a sudden a flame appears, you know, and she's going, voila, c'est pas compliqué, hein? it's not complicated, there it is. You know? <laughs> That's great. Yes, it's not complicated for you, but I'm focused. So obviously, like, when you go to market, you just, the fire would continue burning. You'd go to market and come back or whatever. Leave it burning all day long, all day, every day. Well, see, that's it. Nowadays, we won't even leave the house with the dryer on. Right. You know, right, oh, right, right. make sure the dryer's yeah. pulled before we, we leave the house. Yeah. Make, make sure the toaster's unplugged. So. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, the fire um, in those rural communities, it, it's the focal point of the house. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, I would they, imagine. they cook on it, and um, I mean, Madame Fauconet had this wonderful old log burning range, a, a stove that she kept burning all day, every day, and she would cook on top of the stove like an argo cooker, you know. And, that, and she taught me to cook on this, but that was the that was the focal point of her kitchen. Now, right at the side of this rather antiquated log burning stove was a brand new electric oven and a gas hob that her husband had fitted in for her as a she probably as wouldn't a, touch as a wedding as it was <laughs> wedding anniversary present and you're absolutely right she never touched it she didn't want anything to do with it it was it was as brand new as the day he put it in didn't want anything to do with it. she she spent her entire life cooking on that log burning range and probably made some of the best meals uh, that have ever been just, consumed in the history of the world yeah yeah, she, they were so wonderfully generous to me in, in, all, in all ways and all things. And one day we should, one of our little conversations we have here as our podcast, we should, I, I'll, I'll make us a soup or something as Madame Fauconet taught me to make her soup and we'll walk through the process. But yeah, that'd be a great uh, journey. Little. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful things. I don't know if we're getting on that. Yes, there's that difference between isolation loneliness and being alone because those little villages um, and I'm sure they're all over the world in many different points but in my little experience of living in France down near Cognac and Bordeaux those villages are isolated and if you have a heavy heavy snowfall well you're isolated you what you've got in your house is what you're going to have until you can get back out onto the roads again exactly. and there was a great communal spirit of 
uh, well, I've got some ham and well, I've got some potatoes and well, I've still got half a loaf of bread. Well, all of a sudden, three families have got dinner. Yeah. Just have to get to dinner, get together yep. and make it, you know. That was a great, that, I loved all of that, that feeling of community and the coming together. Yeah. We've lost that to an yep. extent, haven't we? I think we, we need more of that, but I will say, you know, even in, we don't enjoy these trying times, but I think it does bring back that, that it revives that. Yes. More, more than in any other times. So I, I, I think that's I think that's right. And again, gentle listener, um, that's the re- one of the main reasons that we wanted to put this podcast together was just to generate a little community. Even if we can't be together, we can be together another way. And uh, well, I certainly enjoy these podcasts. I, I enjoy our little chats together. How about you? I'm having a great time. Yeah. Well, look at that. It's it's nearly time for us to wrap up again. We can do that. Yeah. Well, we'll be back again. We'll be well. All being well, we'll be back again. The sun's starting to drop down now, isn't it? A little bit. It's starting to cool off. But we've had a fun chat. Thank you for joining us, and join us again for the next episode of Match It and the Other Guy. Say goodbye, Kevin. Until then. Bye.